Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all at Lake Point. Welcome. Welcome all of our campuses. Uh, those of you that might be joining us online, so grateful for all y'all. My name is Mike, and I get to be on the teaching team here, and it's just one of the thrills of my life to get to do that. And this is not only Super Bowl weekend. This is Soar Prom weekend. Uh, I heard it was an amazing event, and thank you to all of you that made that a night to remember for all of our special guests and all their families, such a cool event. And it is Super Bowl weekend, so who you got? Who you got for the Super Bowl? 49ers, Chiefs. Now, now, if the Chiefs do lose, I'm sure that they'll be able to shake it off. Shake it off. And the chances of these same two teams getting back together is like never, ever, ever. Sorry, that's stupid. Honestly, I love football, and I'm excited to watch it all, but I am so much more fired up about what we get to do here every single weekend. And uh, we are wrapping up our series about living with fewer regrets, and we've been trying to get real proactive about our lives instead of looking back someday with a bunch of whole, a whole bunch of, man, I wish I'd have done that, I wish I'd have done this. We're talking about, we've been talking about eliminating hurry in our life. We talked about eliminating worry in our life. Pastor Josh talked about the, the importance of being who God created you uniquely to be. And then last weekend about living a life that is connected, yoked up, linked up, chained to healthy community. If you missed any of the weeks, I would encourage you to get online, check them out. I think it might be really helpful for you. And today, I want to wrap this whole thing up by looking at this regret. I wish I'd had more courage. I wish I'd had more courage. Anybody do any binge watching uh, during the cold, icy recent days? Um, maybe that series you've been hearing about on Netflix or Prime or Hulu or Apple TV or whatever. The very first series I ever binged watched was a series called 24. Anybody ever remember that old, old show 24 with Jack Bauer? Had the little countdown clock going on it. Debbie and I would watch till like 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we'd turn to each other and go... You got one more? Yeah, I got one more. I got one more. So what I'd like to do today, I would like to binge watch an incredible story of courage today. And this is like a riveting miniseries that's got it all. I mean, I'm talking wild parties, beauty pageants, murder conspiracy, social networking, defiance, challenge, risk, courage, egos, triumph, defeat, and so many twists and turns. It's the story of a brave woman named Esther. And you can find her story in the Old Testament section of the Bible, and there is nothing boring about this girl's story. So what we're going to try to do, we're going to try to watch all eight episodes together. We're going to binge watch this entire series for about, in about 30 minutes. Y'all up for that? Here we go. Now we're going to put the closed captioning on the screens so you can track along. And here we go. Episode, episode one is... The Hangover. 
Episode one introduces us to King Xerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, which was at the time the most powerful nation on earth, which made him the most powerful man on earth. And he's throwing a party for all of his officials, all the nobles, all the province, uh, all, the, all the military leaders, all the princes. Everybody who was anybody was there at this party. This was the Super Bowl party of all parties. And it wasn't just one night. It says in chapter one, verse four, for a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. So this party that Xerxes throws in honor of himself lasted half the year. And if 180 days wasn't long enough, then when it was all over, the king throws another seven-day banquet for everyone living in the citadel of Susa. And by the king's edict, no limits whatsoever were placed on drinking. Usually invited guests could only drink when the king gave a toast, but not this week. Everyone is invited, and it is total open bar, and everyone is wasting away again in Margaritaville. On the last day of the event, it says this, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, you think? After a 186-day kegger, he sends some of his men to go get the queen, Queen Vashti, and bring her out wearing the royal crown and nothing but the royal crown because he wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. How sick is that? Any of you wise me down with that? Well, Queen Vashti isn't either. So when they go to get her, she refuses to come and says, you know what, I'm not doing that. And by the way, Sometimes your courage doesn't make you like the headliner in the story, but it paves the way for someone else. And that's what happens with Vashti's brave no, I'm not doing that. So never discount taking a stand for what's right in your life. Well, her defiance makes the king absolutely furious and burning with anger. He goes to his advisors to figure out what he should do with Queen Vashti. And they suggest that he have her banished and give her royal position to somebody else who was better than she. And you know what they meant by quote unquote better. And so they propose that a search should be made for all the young, beautiful virgins in every province in Xerxes' realm, bring in the best, give them beauty treatments, and then let the girl who pleases the king be the new queen. And it says, this advice appealed to the king, you think? And he followed it, which brings us to episode two, Project Runway. So we got all these beautiful young women being rounded up and brought to the citadel of Susa. I can only imagine how many. And check this out. It says this, before a girl's turn came to go in to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women. Six months of oil of myrrh, six with perfumes and cosmetics. 12 months. That's a long time. And this wasn't like getting to go to a great extended spa retreat. There was a whole lot of pressure on these girls, lots of pretty girls all in one place, all trying to get the same rose, I mean crown. <laughs> Think about the jealousy. Think about the competition, the backstabbing, the comparing going on. I mean, this was made for reality TV. And this guy's not even a bachelor. Well, among this group of young women is this girl named Esther a Jewish orphan who had been raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is a Jewish man that was taken captive from Jerusalem under the Babylonian rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. He is one of just many displaced Jewish people. They're no longer in captivity, but they're not really home anywhere. They're just scattered throughout the region. Verse 7 of chapter 2, When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her 
into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So he loves this girl. And verse 11 says that after Esther had been taken to the palace every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out just how Esther's getting along, what's happening to her. So Mordecai, as you can tell, is a really, really good dude. He cares very deeply about this girl and felt like it was his duty to protect her. And that's why he instructs Esther to keep her, her family background, her Jewish heritage, a secret. And so she does. Well, guess what happens? Out of all the young women brought to Susa, verse 15, Esther, just as she was, won the admiration of everyone who saw her. I love that phrase, just as she was. Seems like she wasn't trying so hard. She just radiated from the inside out. And maybe that's a good word for all of us. Esther, just as she was, won the admiration of everyone, including the king. Well, it's been four years now since the night he banished Queen Vashti. And I'm sure there were hundreds, thousands of beautiful young girls he could have chosen in those four years. But it was finally Esther who wins his favor. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. At the end of the day, Esther, a Jewish orphan girl raised by her displaced cousin, maybe the most unlikely, was the one who was handed the rose. Now, the story doesn't end there for Esther with a happily ever after kind of ending. The plot thickens for this humble orphan girl turned queen. We're going to call episode three uh, Criminal Minds. There are a few criminal minds in this story. You got Big Thana, you got Teresh, you got Haman. And interestingly, Mordecai ends up being the lead investigator in each case. You see, Mordecai has this job at the king's gate. And one day he overhears two of these king's guards, Big Thana and, and Teresh, plotting to assassinate the king. Well, Mordecai tells Esther, who relays it to the king, giving all the credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found out to be true, those two bad guys lose their lives. And the end of verse 23 adds this. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Hang on to that one, because this kind of goes into Mordecai's personnel file in the HR department. On such and such a date, Mordecai saved the king's life. Then there was the criminal mind of a man named Haman. And just like most villains in movies or novels, Haman was on the inside. He was the king's right-hand man, the highest-ranking official in the empire, and he had an ego to match. His position was so high that when he passed by other officials, they would all bow down to him. Except for this one guy. There is this Jewish man who worked the front gate that believed in only bowing to God. You guessed it, Mordecai. So day after day, Haman passes by the king's gate and everybody bows down. Mordecai perhaps gives a smile and a nod of the head, but he doesn't bow. And it makes Haman furious. In fact, he is so filled with rage, he decides he's going to do something about it. Chapter 3, verse 6, he had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Talk about an overreaction. Talk about a criminal mind, an evil heart, and an ego that was completely out of control. So in the month of April, they cast lots, roll the dice to see which would be a good day on the calendar to annihilate the Jewish race. And they land on March 7th, almost a year later. Looks like a good day for an ethnic cleansing. The schedule's free. So Haman goes and coerces the king 
to sign off on his plan, explaining to him that there's this certain race of people out there. They're scattered throughout all the provinces, and they're different from everybody else. They keep separate. They have different laws. In fact, O king, they refuse to obey your laws, which was not true at all. But he appeals to the king's ego and convinces him that this race of people should be destroyed and their money and belongings taken. And the king agrees by telling Haman, the money and the people are both yours to do as you see fit. So later that week, on April 17th, a decree is written, translated in the language of each province, and sent with messengers to deliver them, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. Wow. Can you imagine this? I mean, this is horrific. And think about what, what it must have been like for the Jewish people that these messengers were coming to deliver the news. And on the front page, it read, on March 7th, every Jew, young and old, will be killed. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have a date like that circled on your calendar? 11 months to anticipate your death and the death of those closest to you. 11 months to pack up and start running. But run to where? They had no real home. Well, as the news begins to spread, the entire Jewish community begins to weep and wail. They cover themselves in burlap and ashes, which was the traditional manner of brokenness and mourning. They were desperately crying out to God to intercede on their behalf. And it says, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes and he put on burlap and ashes and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. Well, this news about Mordecai weeping and wailing and lying in sackcloth travels to it to Esther. So she sends a messenger, Hattach, to find out what in the world is wrong with her dear cousin, her adoptive father, Mordecai. And he relays the entire story to the messenger and tells the messenger, go back to Esther and tell her she needs to go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. And Esther sends back a reply that went something like this. You got to be kidding me. I can't do that. Everybody knows that to go to the king uninvited is against the law. The punishment is death. I mean, the only exception is if the king holds out his golden scepter as an invitation. And I don't see that happening. I mean, we've been married for five years. The king hasn't asked for me in like 30 days, if you know what I'm saying. It's not a real good time for me to reveal my secret heritage or to ask the king for any favors. This is way too risky. This is way too much of an ask of me. And Esther had to believe that her response would be sufficient because Mordecai would understand, surely, after all, he loved her. He saw himself as her protector. There's no way he would actually expect her to take a risk like that. So Mordecai sends back this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Not exactly what Esther was expecting to hear. Mordecai is reminding her that although she is queen and she's living a plush, sheltered life on the inside of the palace with maids and servants in a walk-in closet full of designer clothes, she is still Jewish. And this decree applies to her as well. And even if she does escape it, those closest to her will not. 
So we ask her to find some courage. It says, don't shrink back. Don't take the easy way out. He challenges her by saying, who knows? Maybe, maybe you were selected. Maybe you were in the palace right now for such a time as this. Gang, the opposite of courage is not fear. It's self-preservation. It's wanting to protect ourselves, shield ourselves, keep ourselves safe and comfortable. Ever been there? Man, I have. I like what Dr. Karen Jobes writes. She says, Esther had to overcome herself in order to do what God had created her and positioned her to do. Ever had to overcome yourself? And I have almost every day of my life. And I'm learning that we can refuse to obey God and or cower in fear from our calling. And God's still going to accomplish his agenda. I mean, just like Mordecai said, if you don't do this, it will arise from another place. I mean, God will accomplish this plan. You see, Mordecai remembered that God had made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to bless the entire world through the Jewish nation. A savior, a deliverer for the entire world would come through them. So Mordecai knew that somehow God was still going to accomplish his long-term plans. But what happens is that you and I pass up the fulfillment of our own life purpose and we, and maybe even those closest to us, miss out on an incredible work that God wanted to do in and through our lives. Urban McManus puts it this way, if, if, if you wait for guarantees, the only thing that will be guaranteed is that you will miss endless divine opportunities. We all want miracles and then spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. And gang, I don't want to look back on my life with regret and say I avoided a bunch of divine opportunities because I was too afraid. In fact, we all need to take some courage these days. If you're a new parent, or you're the parent of an elementary kid, a middle school kid, a high school student, I know that can be a scary calling. There aren't a lot of guarantees. There's definitely some uncertainty with that, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pleading with you, don't back down from that. Don't take the easy way out. Be courageous because God has placed you, you in that boy's life, in that girl's life for such a time as this. If you're a boss, if you're a business leader and things are a little tight right now, a little uncertain, and there, there are definitely some opportunities to keep things going up and to the right. If you're just a little less than honest about some things, but come on, don't settle for that. Be brave. Perhaps you are that integrity-filled, faith-filled leader for such a time as this. If you're a college student, a high school student, middle school student, and you know that God is asking you to lovingly, courageously stand for him in your dorm, your fraternity, your locker room, lunch room, or classroom, and there might be some ridicule, there might be some exclusion, things might get pretty hard for you, but don't shrink back. Be kind, be humble, be gracious, but be brave. Perhaps God put you in that school for such a time as this. And maybe you have sensed God asking you to do something that seems like, oh, that's, that's just way too big of an ask, God. The timing's not real great. It would really make things uncomfortable. There seems to be way too many obstacles. It's going to create a little chaos in my routine. Listen, don't think for a second that God asked only other people to take risks. And he wouldn't ask you to do something risky. He would. He does. And who knows? You just might be the man, might be the woman 
that God put in that situation for such a time as this. See, Esther had a choice. Courage is always a choice. So let's just call episode four Braveheart. After hearing Mordecai's for such a time as this speech, there's an internal shift in Esther. She sends back a message telling Mordecai to have the Jewish people fast and pray for her for three days. By the way, never underestimate asking people to pray for you when you need some courage in your life. And she tells him, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, then I perish. I mean, this is so cool. She goes from, this is way too big of an ask of me. This is way too risky. This is way too much. This really isn't a good time. I could just die for even approaching him. To Mordecai, you know what? You're right. Perhaps this is the reason I'm here. If not me, then who? If not now, then when? I have to do this. I am the only one who can go to the king. And if I perish, well, I perish. I mean, this is so cool how she moves from the mindset of self-preservation to bold courage. And she could have chickened out. She could have stayed comfortable in a royal room. She could have played it safe and just see how it all played out. But she doesn't do that. And listen, you might be sitting there already full of regret for all the opportunities you think you may have missed out on, all the times in the past where you have chosen comfort over courage and character. I got a few, few regrets like that myself. But I'm just telling you, no matter how big of a coward you may have been in the past, no matter how far away from the opportunity you might have run, no matter how inadequate or underqualified you may feel, no matter how much of your life you have lived in self-preservation mode, you too could be just one brave decision away from breaking that same old storyline and plunging your life into a brand new adventure of faith and freedom and hope and courage and purpose. I can just tell you from experience, my life and character have grown in direct proportion to my courage. The times I have just taken a deep breath and swallowed really hard and walked to the edge of all the knowledge I had and then just stepped out in faith following the lead of Jesus, Man, I look back on those times and think of all the adventures I would have missed out on if I decided just to play it safe and maintain my comfort. My wife, Deb, I did a Bible study several years ago where there was a little fill-in-the-blanks exercise that has really helped us with all of this. You see, Esther had to fill in the blanks too. She said those powerful words in verse 16, if I perish, then I perish. Using that sentence, I want us to think about our own fill-in-the-blanks for a second. The, the blank is like this, if blank, then blank. In that first blank, think about a fear that you have. Could be your worst fear, could be a current fear, could be a reoccurring fear. But think about a fear that you've got for that first blank. If the biopsy comes back positive. If the bank forecloses on her home. If I'm pregnant. If... She files for divorce. Just put your greatest fear in that first blank. And let me tell you what our enemy wants us to think about. He wants us to obsess about that first blank. He wants it to mess with us. He wants us to start believing if blank happens, then I'm done. There is no way I'll ever be able to recover. There's no way I'm going to be able to get back up from blank happening. That's why it's so crucial 
to fill in the second blank before you ever fill in the first blank. Because no matter what goes into that first blank, this is what we have to put in that second blank way ahead of time. If blank, then God. If my worst fears happen, well, then God. He will be enough for me. He will pick me back up. He will be my strength. He will be all that he says he will be, and he will do all that he promises to do because my God is bigger than my blank. And that's Esther's resolve. Episode five, Shark Tank. Ever seen those entrepreneurs on that, on that show walk in front of all the sharks sitting there and they make this you know, rehearsed sales pitch? They're so nervous when they do it. I cannot imagine what is going through Esther's mind. Now, Mordecai told Esther what to do, but not how to do it. In fact, he had coached her even to, when you go in there, make sure you, 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 you beg and you plead before the king. However, she does not come to the king as a beggar. She doesn't come with a cheesy, memorized sales pitch either. She doesn't choose to wear some kind of sexy lingerie as a member of his harem or even as his wife. Instead, she gets dressed in her royal robes and she confidently walks down the hall as the queen of the Persian Empire. That's just so cool to me. Can you imagine her walking down that hallway knowing with each step she's getting closer and closer to the king seeing her, which remember, to come uninvited was a capital offense. And I bet she knew that if she stopped for a minute, she's going to run back to her room, but she doesn't stop. Just step after fearful step, she keeps on walking. You see, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's moving ahead in spite of the fear. And as she comes in the full view, the guards, the secret service kind of guys, they're ready to pounce on her, ready to take her out before she can reach the king. But the king takes a look at her dressed in her royal robes. He sees her clothed with confidence and he stops the guards and holds out his golden scepter. And he asks her, what is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? Just ask, and it is yours. Esther responds, If it pleases the king, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. And the king says, Okay, you know me. I love a good party. You got it. And so the king calls for Haman, the villain in the story, the hater of Mordecai, the future annihilator of the Jews. He she, he calls for them together to go to this banquet that Esther had prepared. And it's there the king asks her again, you got to tell me, Queen Esther, what is it? What is it that you want? I mean, just, just ask, and it is yours. And Esther says, well, let's talk about it later. I mean, why don't the two of you come back again tomorrow for another banquet? And the king agrees. Now, there's lots of theories on why Esther did not make her request at the first banquet. Some just think she flat out chickened out just couldn't do it. Others think she was over anxious, didn't feel like it was the right timing. Some even think that she was trying to make the king suspicious as to why she kept inviting Haman, trying to make the king jealous. But I think she was just plain brilliant to keep the king hanging on the edge of intrigue. So the king leaves the banquet very intrigued and Esther leaves the banquet full of courage for the next day and Haman, oh Haman, He leaves the banquet so full of himself. 
He is so pumped up about having dinner with the royal family and being invited back again the next day. He was in. It said he left the banquet happy and in high spirits. However, all that changes when he has to walk past the king's gate and see once again, oh, that Mordecai character still refusing to bow to his greatness. Well, Haman goes home. And if his day hadn't been eventful enough, he throws another party at his own house to brag to his wife and friends about all of his winding and dining with the king and the queen. He tells them, you know what? I'm the only one. I'm the only one the queen invited. This has been one awesome day. Man, I was feeling so good about myself. And then on the way home, my day was ruined once again when I had to walk by that stupid Jew, Mordecai. I cannot stand that guy. So a wife, a wife and friends throw out, well, you know what you need to do? Just have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it and then go with the king to dinner and be happy. This suggestion, it says, delighted Haman. And he had the gallows built. All right, episode six, here we go. Insomnia or sleepless in Susa. That night, it says in chapter six, the, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. This is just funny to me. The king goes, I can't sleep. Let's read a book about me. And guess, and guess which story is read. The story that gets read is the one about Mordecai saving the king's life from those two guards who were plotting to kill him. And the king asked the attendant that was reading, uh, did we ever do anything for him? What, what, what recognition, what reward did we give to Mordecai for doing this? And they reply, well, actually nothing. I mean, nothing was really ever done for him. And then the king hears someone in the outer court. And the king says, who's in the court? And it says this, now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. And so the king says to Haman, hey, glad you stopped by. I was just wondering about something. I'd love to get your input. What should I do for someone I want to honor? And of course, with his huge ego, Haman thinks to himself, hmm, who would the king want to honor other than me? So he says, well, I don't, here's the thought. I think you ought to bring him the royal robe and grab the king's horse and put a royal crest on his head and then let the most noble princes lead him through the streets shouting, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And the king says, that is a great idea. Quick, bring the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing you suggest. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's so awesome. And Haman has to do it. Man, I wish I could have been there. Verse 12, afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected, and completely humiliated. That's why episode seven is... Flip or flop. The script is beginning to flip, and Haman is feeling the flop, and he is humiliated and dejected and reeling a bit about how his plan is coming unraveled. So he goes to this second banquet that Esther had prepared for him and the king. And as they're sitting there, the king, who is now at the peak of his curiosity, asks once again, Come on, Queen Esther, what's on your mind? Whatever you need, just ask, and it's, it is yours. And this time Esther takes a deep breath and says with humility and courage, great king, if I have found favor with you, grant me this 
I'm asking you to spare my life. Spare my people. For we have been sold for destruction, slaughter, and annihilation. And the king says, what? By whom? Who would do that? Where is the man who would dare do such a thing? And Esther says he's sitting right there. This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. And Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Well, the king goes off. This was his highest ranking official. How could somebody on the inside do something like this? So Xerxes steps outside to the garden to kind of cool off a while. And while he is gone, Haman begins to beg Esther for his life. It says, in despair, he falls on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. So the king walks back into this scene and it's kind of like a, hey, get off my wife kind of scene. And he says, will Haman even molest the queen while she's with me in my own house? It's not looking good for Haman here. One of the attendants standing nearby seeing the king's rage has a suggestion. He said, excuse me, king, uh, but were you aware that a gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house? He had it made for Mordecai, the one who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, hang him on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows he'd prepared for Mordecai. It's unreal. All right, it's getting late. You got one more? One more. Here we go. Final episode. Episode eight, Undercover Boss. On that same day, the king gives Esther all of Haman's estate, and Esther places Mordecai over it all. Because the king had already signed the edict against the Jews, he could not revoke it. So he has Mordecai issue a new decree that was again translated and sent out to all the provinces, and the headline read, on March 7th, Jews of every city have the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy and kill any armed force, nationality, or province that might attack them. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews that overpowered their enemies. Now I'm calling episode eight undercover boss because while both Mordecai and Esther displayed some unbelievable courage and leadership, the architect of this whole thing is totally behind the scenes. One of the most intriguing things about the book of Esther is that God's name is never mentioned in it. But don't confuse God's name not being in it with God not being in it. He is all over this story. I mean, just like with every great drama behind the scenes, there's a writer, producer, there's a director who knows every scene, is involved in every line, sees every angle, is in complete control of the story. Uh, and listen to me, Spielberg, Scorsese, Spike Lee, Ron Howard, they got nothing on our God. I mean, could it just so happen that Vashti is banished at the very time when Esther is the right age to be picked for tryouts? I mean, could it just so happen that out of all the thousands of beautiful women coming to the king for four years, Esther, the orphan Jewish girl, is the one who is chosen. Could it just so happen that the Jewish nation would face annihilation at the exact time the queen happens to be Jewish? Could it just so happen that although it was against the law that the king didn't have a reputation for tolerating disrespectful wives, that Esther would win his favor? 
Could it just so happen that while a plot is being carried out to kill Mordecai, the king has a sleepless night and his bedtime story is about the day Mordecai saved his life? Could it just so happen that the gallows for Haman were already built than none other than Haman himself? Could it just so happen that all of this would take place at a time when the Jewish community was scattered and displaced, that they would come together and become strong again? No way. That's God. That is God working behind the scenes in everything. And I think God chose to inspire this story without his name being mentioned so that you and I could take courage when we can't see him. And maybe you've been through seasons in your life where you could not figure out how God was working, what he was doing, but now you look back and you see his hand all over it. Or maybe you're going through something right now and for the life of you, you cannot figure out where God is in your story. You can't seem to find his involvement. And gang, I think he gave us the story of Esther so that we would know that even when we can't see him on the page, he's right there right where you are right now working in the dark. Don't be afraid. Be brave. Walk in faith. You're not alone. When fear rips you and insecurity grips you, know that he equips you to walk through that door. When shame makes you pause to keep you from the cause when no one stands with you, know that he does. When the past screams, who are you to do such a thing? Know that there's one who's behind the scenes giving you courage, the power, the words, the resolve to stand in his love against all odds. To remind you of who you are, that you are now his. And you have been made for such a time as this. Let's pray together. Father. I just want to thank you for this incredible story. And I thank you for the way that you do work behind the scenes in our lives. That even though we can't trace it all, we know because you promise and you keep your word. You never break a promise. You never break a covenant. And thank you for the way you're working behind the scenes in so many people's lives right now, God. And I pray that today this story would inspire us to walk by faith, to take courage and to move ahead in spite of the fear, to know that you're walking with us. God, I, I thank you especially for this story because, because of Esther's faith and her courage and the Jewish nation would thrive and the Savior would come and all of us would get to live forever because of him. So grateful for courageous men and women. Help us to be the same. So we'll never look back in our life and go, man, I wish I'd have had more faith. Wish I'd have had more courage. We want to walk in faith today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.